Welcome into another edition of the Roost Podcast. I am Matthew Bartlett here, joined this week with Eric Henry of Underdog Dynasty. Carter couldn't make it, but we wanted to give you kind of an overview with Rice being off this week and this being, I guess, gosh, halfway through the college football season, semi-officially. We, we wanted to kind of get a, a good overview and, and nobody uh, better to do it than Eric. So you have uh, all the answers. Can we uh, count on you for the what we need to know this week in Conference USA and beyond? Matthew, my good man, I will try my best to provide all of the answers. Don't know if uh, Conference USA fans will like the answers I have to say, but I have the answers that I think are correct. The ones you need to know, not the ones you want to know, but the ones you need to know. <laughs> well, I this is good because I haven't prepped you, you know, peel behind the curtain. Sometimes we send our guests a little show sheet and we say, this is what we're talking about. I literally texted you, um, what, late last night? And I said, hey, do you want to talk Conference USA? And because you are an upstanding gentleman, you uh, ventured into this arena and uh, and we're just going to go with it. So um, because we don't talk UTEP football enough, we're going to start with UTEP. Five win, one win from bowl eligibility UTEP. And uh, I see that they are so far leading the West in the standings. And so I wanted to go up front and give UTEP... Uh, the love that they deserve for all the minor fans out there listening. Um, now we can either break their hearts or encourage them. Is this a fluke or is UTEP actually for real? All right. So is UTEP for real, right? The Can the answer be in the middle? Here's why I say that, Matt. When you look at the teams that they faced, right, they beat Southern Miss that we're learning is still – really in the middle of their rebuilding process under first-year head coach Will Hall. Old Dominion, same thing, coming off a year of opt-out under Ricky Ronnie. Look, at they beat New Mexico, okay, you take, it, take it on the chin pretty hard to Boise. You beat the Fighting Wildcats of Bethune-Cookman from my neck of the woods, Daytona Beach, or at least Florida, you know, about a, two hours from where I'm at. And then they beat up on New Mexico State. That's been, quite frankly, abysmal over the past decade, right? So here's the thing. The positive is these are games that UTEP found a way to lose in previous years, right? I mean, the five wins easily eclipse the prior, what's that, prior three or four wins, uh, four seasons combined, right? So in that aspect, you want to give them some kudos. But this is where I think we're going to learn a lot about this UTEP team is the remaining stretch. Louisiana Tech, FAU, UTSA, UAB. Four out of the six games right there. Those are going to be challenges, right? And those are the ones that still at this point, I'm not willing to say that I will give UTEP, but I will say this. This is where I want to give them credit. You're finally seeing the kind of the foundation of the talent that they've laid over the past few years. You're seeing it come to fruition, right? Jacob Collins, the real deal. He's no fluke. Justin Garrett's been a solid number two there receiver for the past couple of years. Deion Hankins, we saw what he did last year, but they have a nice combination of backs and Ronald Awad. And they get they got Quadres Wadley, who you know looked like to be one of the rising conference USA running backs a couple of years ago. He's battled injuries, right? Praise Amahule. He's the real deal. He's been that way for the past few years. Bobby DeHero on the offensive line's been a conference USA all uh, all conference USA honorable mention. I think three straight years. I think this may be the year as UTEP wins games, he cracks through and makes an all conference team. So there is talent. And I want to give Dana Dimmel that, but is it still smoke and mirrors? We shall see. This is the positive. They're going to make a bowl this year, right? When you look at the, again, the remaining six, the other two teams. They is face, that a guarantee? Is that a UTEP that, bowl guarantee? That is a guarantee. If they have North Texas and Rice, they're going to win one of those games, if not both. 
Sorry to the Owls fans. Um, but again, Louisiana Tech, they can really make a statement in my mind is if with now that the spotlight's on them, right? At home, fans will be back in the Sun Bowl for the first time in presumably a few years. Uh, you know, they're going to have a chance to clinch bowl eligibility, which sounds so crazy. It's, it's mid-October, and they have a chance to clinch bowl eligibility. They can do that against Louisiana Tech. So if they beat Tech, in my mind, then they're legit and they answer all those questions. But we're going to learn everything we need to know about this team as far as their chances in the West over the next month or so. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's so interesting because um, it, was, it was Dana Dimmel, actually. I think you might have been in the scrum. We were at Conference mm-hmm. USA Media Days back in – 2019 back when we did things in person, in person and, not, yeah. and not over zoom and we somebody asked demo how do you measure whether or not you're having a success at, at utep he said well you measure every coach by winning the games you're supposed to win um, and i thought that was a very well put answer and going into this season uh, three of the first five games that they've played were against teams that did not play football last fall um, which I think helped, and they won those. And that's some UTEP winning games that they're supposed to win. This is a, a program that's had trouble putting FCS opponents away in the past couple years. Uh, so that alone, I, I have caught my attention, and, I, and I'm interested. And I, I, you mentioned the Louisiana Tech game being pivotal. This is particularly interesting because Louisiana Tech under Skip Holtz has been a team that, uh, with talent, with coaching, has kind of always been – sort of given the benefit of the doubt that, yeah, they're probably going to be one of the better teams in the West. But, you know, they've been shaky this year and they've had some, man, the heartbreak experienced by Louisiana Tech fans. I can't even imagine. So it's been a lot of bad luck too. But we could live in a real world where we wake up a week from today. Uh, UTEP has six wins, sits in 3-0 and atop the conference standings by themselves. And Louisiana Tech is out of the running in the West. Like, <laughs> are we in twilight zone? Like how, cr- and, and we talk about this. It's funny because we talk about this every year. Every year we say the top to the bottom in conference USA, it's not that big of a gap, but I don't really think we've seen a year, even if UTEP, you know, doesn't get shut out and, and finishes the year at, you know, five and seven. I don't think we've seen a year yet where the top to bottom of conference USA maybe actually is as narrow of a gap as we think it might be. Is that fair? Matt, Matt I, I'm not trying to make myself sound smarter than I am. Okay. I'm just, Hey, occasionally we get these right. Uh, not uh, often, okay. but occasionally. Occasionally we do. Entering this year, I really felt that this league was up for grabs. I was not sold on Marshall in the East. I thought that FAU, they have to put some things together, but getting the Kosey Perry, I'm sure we'll spin around the horn and talk about all these things, but just kind of giving you my thought process here. I thought that FAU was really going to depend on which Nikosi Perry they could get. Even when I looked in the West with UAB, the quarterback situation, we see TJ3. Now, part of that's because of injury, and part of that's been because of inconsistency. He's not even starting right now. It's Dylan Hopkins. I, the team I felt most confident in was UTSA. I picked them to win the league, and you know here they are undefeated. But you always felt, at least I felt, that there wasn't that much of a gap, even like you said, more so than even normal years, that any team could really kind of make a jump up and be a surprise team. And look what we have. We have Charlotte leading the East and UTEP in position to potentially lead the West. So I think your point is spot on in terms of this year. Conference is just wide open. 
Yeah, and you hit on a lot of those things are on our list that we're going to run through. Uh, you mentioned a couple teams. I do want to hit on Charlotte uh, because I'm looking right now at um, there were 24 votes by the media uh, in the preseason poll. So I have just have that pulled up in front of me. Uh, UTEP picked to finish last in the West. Um, I think we both think at this point that's probably not going to uh, be the end case by the time we get to the end of the year, which is, you know, that in itself is interesting. Uh, but Charlotte. Uh, picked to finish fourth in the East, and you really saw kind of a split. It was basically 17 votes for Marshall, six for FAU, just one for Western Kentucky. Uh, nobody really thought, especially after the year that Charlotte had last year, I believe they finished two and four uh, with some bad blowout losses. Nobody really kind of maybe took the 49ers and Will Haley seriously. Um, got a Power 5 win this year. Uh, with the upset of Duke, and they've kind of been rolling it. And this is kind of the Chris Reynolds show. He's putting himself in position as one of the, you know, quietly uh, the best quarterbacks in this league, and a league that didn't really have any passers. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of asked you as UTEP for real, um, maybe kind of a, a spin on that. You know, we've seen a little bit from Charlotte. What's kind of the the missing piece? Because nobody in the East has looked infallible far from it. Uh, so what does Charlotte need to do to really make a run at it? Cause this doesn't look out of the question to me at all. They need to be able to stop the run against a team that is actually adequate. And they did not do that in five previous tries. If you look at the record, of course they're four and two, but their win in which listen, give them credit. They held FIU and Devonte price is one of the top running backs in CUSA, although his numbers aren't really showing it right now. They held FIU to 72 yards rushing, but quite frankly, the Panthers haven't won an FBS game in over two years. So, sorry, right? And this is not to say that I'm, you know, poo-pooing on Charlotte. I'm a big fan of Will Healy. Just touched on Chris Reynolds as far as his level of play and just how gutsy and resilient the resolve of him over the past three years. I touched in on my three things we learned in Conference USA column that I do weekly. Here's a guy who's really stood tall. And yes, I, 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 you know, pun intended there, as we know, he's listed at 5'11". He's probably closer to 5'9". Every time they bring in a guy, whether it's Brett Keane from South Florida or they bring in James Foster from Texas A&M, these quarterbacks who are cut right out of central casting, right? 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", rocket arm athletic. And then there's the former seven stringer, the walk-on, managed to beat him out. And in that sense, you have to respect Chris Reynolds, right? But when you ask me what's missing with this team, Again, they're giving up Matt. They were ranked 128th entering last week in run defense. If they'd held their mark, which that number should have come down, I haven't had a chance to look at it where it's at right now, but I know entering last week, they were aligned 254.6 yards on the ground. That'd be a record for Conference USA. I tried looking back the stats. <laughs> I went back to 1997. No team's allowed that many yards. I believe the closest um, at least in the past five years, was Florida Atlantic 2016 allowed 251. That team went three and nine. So clearly, if they're going to win the East, they're going to have to have a marked improvement in stopping the run, give them credit again. They did well against FIU, but that's really what's missing. And it's surprising because they have some talented guys on defense. When you look at Marquise Watts and Tyler Murray and Luke Martin, those are talented guys. But I think their defensive line still very much a question mark. But when you look at offensively, where the hell did they find Grant DeBose? And I mean, I love stories like him, Matt, because those are the guys who not only was he playing at Division II in 2020, oh man, I can't remember if it was 2019 or 2020. I want to say it was 2020. 
uh, excuse me, when I was playing Division Two, he only had eight catches. And the fact that he just jumped up to CUSA and FBS is not one of the top you know, receivers in the league. is just incredible. You pair him with Vic Tucker, who had a nice homecoming in Miami, eight catches for 92 yards in the win. And they're getting solid production out of the running backs, which that was the question mark for me entering the year. You come off of having Benny LeMay, and then last year they had the kid Trey Harbison and Aaron McAllister. Calvin Camp, Shadrick Bird, the former Iowa transfer, give credit to those guys who are doing well on the ground. But again, just to kind of you know sum it up with Charlotte, the run defense, you, you got to I, I, listen, I've seen that that can undo a team with FIU. <laughs> so Charlotte's going to have to step up in that regard, but give credit to Will Healy. They're four and two and leading the East. Yeah. I mean, you know, playing Georgia state and giving up like what 300 yards or whatever they did, like that certainly doesn't help their numbers. Uh, we've seen enough conference USA squads face army once, and then all of a sudden their stats drop to the bottom in the conference and, and run defense. But yeah, I'm at 5.7 yards per carry. Woof. <laughs> It's not going to get it done. So, you know, if, if they can't get it done, I think it was interesting uh, in, in the East. So I struggled with this because when it came time to submit my ballot, I I could not in good conscience put Marshall uh, to win the East. I, I just couldn't do it because uh, and maybe it was a little bit of watching Rice make Grant Wells just look silly. Um, which that secondary has done to a couple quarterbacks at this point, but a uh, brand new head coach in a league that, you know, as we said, is kind of up for grabs. I, I couldn't do it. Um, I, I'm not going to victory lap yet because the, and I won't because the talent is there. You, we can see some of the plays that are being made, um, but whether it's not, whether it's, it's just a, uh, maybe Wells not taking the next step, I think is part of it. Uh, there's not really a they haven't had the go to guy in the passing game, maybe that they, they've had in, in recent years. Um, but, you know, how confident are we that that Marshall can turn this around? Because I, I kind of see a team that that maybe is you know they're on the southern miss scale of rebuilding. Right. Like they have a lot of the pieces yet, but it's a first year head coach. And I feel like we've seen, especially how they've lost a couple games in the fourth quarter. There's just a, a, a growing up that needs to happen. If that's the right way to say it, it you know, is this a, is this something we think that Marshall can fix and, and really make a run to contend in the East? Or is this kind of like a looking at 2022 kind of thing? Well, I think you kind of hit it when you said a growing up, I'm going to say a growing up under Charles Huff. I think, I have always wanted the belief that with first-year head coaches, yes, sometimes you have a situation like a Jeff Trailer or even a Butch Davis thinking going back to 2017, right, where he inherits a team that is recruited fairly well, just needs to make the most of their talent, and sometimes a different voice can make the difference. In this case, you have a team that they're trying to learn how to win the big game. Doc Holliday, for all the things we want to say about Doc Holliday, it wasn't as if he was doing a bad job at Marshall. He just wasn't doing the job that those who are Marshall fans and those who align themselves with Marshall West Virginia felt he should be doing, right? And if you believe the rumors, that could stem all the way up to the governor, right? But another topic for another day. So here's the thing with Charles Huff, right? We had him on the CUSA podcast on the Rock Dynasty. Really enjoyed talking to him. Comes from that Nick Saban coaching tree. He made sure to kind of give Joe and I a hard time and say, hey, you know, uh, how about we trade jobs? How about, you know, I go up there in the press box and eat the, the M&Ms and popcorn and you come down here and call plays 
You see how easy it is, right? That's exactly and, what we do, by the way. Just eat M&Ms and watch. Precisely. Listen, I, I am not going to push back on that one. <laughs> but, but here's the thing, right? So I do think they're in good hands with Coach Huff. It's a bit of a learning, a growing process because it wasn't, again, it wasn't like this team, it wasn't like this needed a new voice. I never thought that that was a change. I just thought that it was a different philosophy and you had to learn how to win games. A point you made there, which is, I think is like a close number two, is Grant Wells. He, and listen, for if you did not see that Old Dominion game, I watched pretty much every single snap with FIU and played on Friday once I was able to find it and get my Facebook uh, feed to load because that game was on Facebook. Marshall, you know, Charles Huff said that, hey, he's proud of his kids for fighting and finding a way to win. That's all well and good. They didn't deserve to win that game. If ODU, you know, DJ Mack, the UCF transfer, if, if he's a more capable passer, ODU wins that game, right? You know, Grant Wells launches a 45-yard touchdown pass late in the fourth quarter to Willie Johnson, ties the game up. And at that point, ODU, you know, for a team that's still learning how to essentially walk, they were going to be, they weren't going to come back, right? They were, they were crushed. But when you look at Marshall's schedule down the stretch, they've got North Texas. That should be a win. they got FIU. That should be a win. FAU, UAB, Charlotte, Western Kentucky. That's going to make Ooh. a difference because that's only going to put them at five wins coming down the stretch. There's a chance they could lose all four of those games. Those are all very much 50-50 games. If not, I don't know about you, Matt, but I would favor Florida Atlantic in that game. I'd favor UAB in that game. Charlotte, we'll see how their, the rest of their season plays out. In Western Kentucky, we know they can put up points. So that's just kind of my read on on Marshall. They could grow into what Charles Huff is trying to mold there. But even entering the year, I kind of saw them as a seven, eight win team to begin with. I didn't pick them to win the East. I picked FAU. So we'll see how it plays out. So one of us could be right if it's not Marshall. <laughs> which, which which tails into my next question. I did I did not pick FAU. I was the lone Western Kentucky voter. Um, so w- with that as a preface, um, I think going into the season, I think you, I, uh, several folks kind of put together their rundown uh, of the best quarterbacks in Conference USA. Grant Wells got the benefit of the doubt on my list as the only guy who had actually done it in Conference USA to this point. Um, but who is the, in your eyes, who's the best quarterback in Conference USA right now? And uh, why is it Bailey Zappi? It is Bailey Zappi. <laughs> and listen, I was someone who was a bit on the Bailey Zappi hype train for the better part of uh, really two seasons now. I had a chance to see, or not firsthand, but a chance to watch them when they opened the year at UTEP. I want to say I was 2019, I believe. 2020 was kind of a blur, right? It all runs together yeah. for like five years. So I think, well, I think it was 2019. And I was sold. Because one of the things that people always said is, oh, he did it at FCS. Oh, he did it at Eastern Baptist. Oh, okay, guys, can we give him the benefit of the doubt that he is going to level up in talent by playing on a Western Kentucky team that has FBS talent around him, right? It's not like he's taking, you know, he's going to play in, in Commerce USA with an FCS team. So he's done really well with Western Kentucky. Uh, and, and I won't go too far into my top takes. I know you just asked me who's the best quarterback, but their issue has been defensively it's just been shocking, especially with guys like D'Angelo Malone and Juwan, Juwan Jones, Antoine Kincaid. They can't stop anybody. But yes, Bailey Zappi is my number one quarterback. And uh, I'm right there with Frank Harris, just how much he's progressed as a passer. He's right there for number two in my mind. Yeah, well, I think I think uh, Jared uh, Kalma, so well, with you guys, he was he was driving the Bailey Zappi hype train uh, 
man, like you can go back, look at his Twitter feed from like 2016. Like when this kid was in high school, he's like, watch out. Uh, he was right. Smart guy over there. Um, but but I think it's interesting. You know, you mentioned the defense. Obviously, that's been the, the bugaboo. Uh, we saw how the defense performed against UTSA, which, you know, since Sarah McCormick and Frank Harris uh, might be the best one two punch, you know, quarterback running back in the conference, maybe at the G5 level, you, you could make an argument. Um, but but I think it's interesting with with Western Kentucky, because the the kind of thought process was, you know, with with Zappy moving up to the FBS level, you know, the question always with those quarterbacks coming in and making that level is, can they do it? Like, well, he brought his offensive coordinator. He brought all of his wide receivers. And so the variable you're changing um, is not sometimes you drop this this new kid into a new offense with new new playmakers and a new coach and say, just go do it against tougher competition. You've literally kept just about everything the same. The only thing that's changed is the degree of difficulty on the other side. Uh, and I think that's something that, you know, maybe is is underappreciated. Uh, not to say that, you know, I, I've seen enough of Zappy that I think you could drop him on just about any team in Conference USA uh, and he'd be dropping dimes. Uh, but putting those two together, that's what makes it interesting because in ideally you'd love to have a, a well-rounded team that can play offense and defense. But in the modern era of college football, I, I, I think I've seen enough that if you have an elite offense and just enough defense at the right moment, you might be able to get it done. And especially in the East where we talked about Charlotte's out front and we don't feel like super strong against them. Marshall has questions. Uh, at this point, is it a Bailey Zappi versus a the full team of FAU to see who, who takes down the East? Wow, I hadn't even thought of looking at it that way. I wonder if they've dug themselves too much of a hole. I mean, you can say in the conference, maybe not necessarily. We shall see. But if you put me on the spot and ask it to me that way, FIU is not going to push. ODU is not going to push. Middle Tennessee, somehow they looked better with Chase Cunningham than they did as opposed to Bailey Hockman. But I don't think middle season, right? Mind blown, exactly. Right? And listen, <laughs> I can give you 10 minutes of rant on that because I, I – I, I have followed Middle Tennessee for the better part of the last three seasons in terms of their offensive production. And I've asked no Rick longer Stockdale, with the program, Bailey Hawkman, if, if yeah, I recall correctly. If you are recalling correctly and just some of the, the deficiencies they've had there, but I'll save that for later on. So, yeah, <laughs> it really is FAU in my mind. I, I, I don't think, I mean, I just said that Marshall, we'll see how the rest of the schedule is going to play out, but I, I think they're a year away. So, yes, uh, to answer your question, it is Bailey Zappi versus however Florida Atlantic does. And I still think Florida Atlantic is going to win it, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, which and and we will hit since we've covered just about the rest of the East. I do want to kind of touch on on Florida Atlantic because I think they're they're a really interesting story because they got Willie Taggart coming back. They got a lot of pieces. Uh, they probably have, what, two or three quarterbacks that could be starting maybe across several Conference USA teams. Uh, you could make the argument. Uh, given where the quarterback play has been, I don't know. Um, but I, and I know you laugh at me because quarterback play in Conference USA is an adventure. That's true. Um, but what have we kind of seen? Because they've been, you know, Lane Kiffin was there and did great things, but it's kind of been a up and down is is not doing them justice because Florida Atlantic has been better than that. Um, but I, I think there's a point where, you know, obviously we saw them, uh, run over FIU, but 
we kind of wanted to see how they could play with the big boys, you know, so to speak. And uh, the performance they had against uh, UAB, granted that was at uh, Protective Stadium, uh, didn't really leave me feeling like this was a team that maybe was where we thought they ought to be, if that's fair. So how how much of, how much confidence do we have that you know you, you rolled your eyes when I mentioned quarterback play, um, whether it's uh, Nikosi Perry or somebody else? How confident are we are that that FAU can out talent everybody? Because if you look at this roster, it has a pretty legitimate argument that it's the most talented in the East, if not the conference. Like that's not crazy. Uh, it's just putting the pieces together, and they don't have the same excuse that Marshall does with a brand-new head coach. It's a semi-new head coach, but he's not brand-new. Matt, so here's the deal. I am getting ready to argue with Shane Marinelli. He does a great job covering the Owls for Owls 247. <laughs> and it's been a Conference USA, I don't know what to call him. He's been a, a Conference USA figure on Twitter for the better part of four years, right? Shane has been just spouting off hot takes about how UAB, if FAU and UAB play, FAU wins that game 99 of 100 times. Well, that's just not true because that wouldn't there, you know, and, and that would posit that FAU is 99 times better than UAB in my mind. And that's just not the case. It really does a discredit to Bill Clark and does a discredit to the players that are on that team. FAU is, in my mind, the most talented team in CUSA. Lane Kiffin did an excellent job recruiting him. Before him, Charlie Parker did as well. But are they going to get the most out of that those players? I'm not putting this finger squarely at Willie Taggart. It's a different offensive system. If you look at what Willie Taggart's doing as opposed to what Lane Kiffin's doing, Lane Kiffin's looking to spread the ball out. You know, he's looking to, excuse me, spread the field out a little bit. You see Willie Taggart's lined up in the eye. He's got Larry McCammon, the fullback, and Malcolm Davidson and Johnny Ford back there, tailback. And it just seems like a different offensive field, different philosophy as far as how they want to win games. But to your point, you look at the wins they have. They beat Georgia Southern, and that was a second-half win. They beat Fordham, and that was a second-half win. Now, they blew out all of these teams, but they started slow. So when they smoked FIU from the word go, it was okay. Finally, this team is finding their groove. They started fast. They played well. They forced turnovers. Let's see what they do against UAB. And they didn't show up. UAB beat them decisively. No one's going to tell me otherwise. Dylan Hopkins, they left points on – the board, I mean, if you look at UAB's second drive, Jermaine Brown Jr. drops a little swing pass out there. They could go up 14-0 before FAU really has a chance to turn around. Nikosi Perry throws a horrible pick, and he's going to be the factor in my mind, Matt. You look at him at Air Force, 11 of 33 passing. He rebounds against FIU, but seemingly everyone's rebounding against FIU. I'm, attested, I, I'm equipped to say that. The plays against UAB doesn't perform well. Four turnovers, points off of turnovers, 14 points. If that's going to be the team that FAU is, well, then they'll just be a what if and they'll win seven games and they'll play in, you know, the cheese it bowl or whatever, right? But they have all the talent to win CUSA. It's just a matter of getting the most out of it. Defensively, don't even get me started. I saw that defensive line against FIU. If for those of you, you listen, if you do not know the name Evan Anderson, 6'4, 360, still considered a freshman because of the COVID rules, he is going to be Dion Noville, maybe times two in terms of his production when it's all said and done in FAU. Jalen Joyner is a hell of a defensive end. Zion Gilbert's been in CUSA seemingly since we were in middle school. They have all the talent, right? It's just a matter, again, of putting it together. Which I think has been so interesting because when I looked at this weekend's, or I guess 
at last week in Slate, now that we're recording, I kind of had those games circled, the FAU and UAB game and the the Western Kentucky and the UTSA game, because in my mind, I said, there is a strong chance that the teams that are playing in the championship game at the end of this season are in that those two games. Uh, I pretty decent chance. I would with with, you know, in the West, UTSA and, and UAB high likelihood that those are the two guys uh, left standing. And we just we've kind of talked about that, you know, Western Kentucky, FAU and Marshall all have big questions, but we kind of like that. Good chance that we're going to pull from them, too. Um, I think that was the disparity for me, because even with Western Kentucky, just not being able to stop anybody, despite having what I guess D'Angelo Malone wasn't uh, the two time defensive player of the year in Conference USA, but close enough one time and and runner up. If that Um, I at least saw enough from the offense that I'm like, that unit is elite. The defense might be terrible, but they can do something great. And that's what I haven't seen uh, from Florida Atlantic. I, I, I haven't seen great uh, on either side. They're, they're all around, if you said, you know, make them play 100 games, they're probably, even with talent, they're going to be a top five team in the conference o- overall. Uh, but I don't know if they have that that uh, that upward mobility to really be a, a team that, that scares me. It, 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 but the East is weak. And, and I don't know, there isn't there isn't a flawless team. I think you put UAB and UTSA, and we'll, we'll talk about UTSA now because we haven't yet. Those are probably, unarguably, the best two teams in this conference. Uh, and it's interesting that they play uh, in the same conference. So we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll leave the East there for a little bit, and we'll get to UTSA. And this is interesting, man, because last year, everything kind of went right for Jeff Trailer and UTSA. They had a lot of close games. They played well, but they had a lot of close games and they all kind of seemingly went their way, went their way. They fared, fared really, really well when it came to COVID and uh, both within their program and, and games that got missed. Um, and overall, it was just kind of like, it kind of felt like the perfect storm that everything went well. And now it's kind of, okay, Jeff Trailer, uh, can you do it again? And I think what has impressed me most about UTSA this year, you know, Bailey Zappi's 5 million passing yard performance aside, uh, is they've looked like a much more complete team. Uh, Last year at times, it was, let's just hand the ball to uh, Sincere McCormick 1,000 times and we'll win. And they're still doing that. Uh, Sincere McCormick, uh, I was looking at the stats, he he is out-touched every other conference USA running back by 30 or 40 carries or something like that. Um, but, but big picture, uh, UTSA has the shapings up to, to be the most well-rounded team in this conference. And I don't think I don't, we, you smoke and mirrors earlier. I don't really think it's smoke and mirrors. This UTSA team uh, has the makings of, you know, uh, somebody, if they beat UAB, uh, could be thinking about running the table. And that's something we haven't seen a Conference USA team to do in a good while. Um, so I, I guess my, my question in all that, um, if we could kind of drill down into be w- what's really made it click this year for UTSA to make them, because I feel like they're ta- they take a leap. They, they're a better team than I saw on the field last year. What is that? What's the difference there? Is it the defense? Is it Frank Harris? Uh, 
Is it the good tacos they have down in there in San Antonio? Like, wh- what has made this team better than they were last year? Matt, really quick, before I get to that, because you just touched on something that I, is, you know, burning in within my chest as tacos. a Floridian. Yes. Is Taco Bell popular in San Antonio? Because I've heard that Taco Bell is, and it just uh, seems rather bizarre that you'd be that I mean, close to authentic Mexican food and you want Taco Bell? There, there is a Taco Bell in San Antonio, but I, I don't know of anyone who is intentionally, when they're in San Antonio, seeking out Taco Bell. If they are, uh, they're doing it wrong. Okay, I, and listen, <laughs> send, send all your hate tweets to at Eric C. Henry underscore. I heard a dirty rumor that Taco Bell was popular in San Antonio. It just seemed bizarre that, you know, Taco Bell is popular in parts of America where there are not the Mexican folk. Or there isn't, I should say. I digress. Back to football. Here's the deal, Matt. Rashad Wisdom, Trevor Harmonson, Antonio Parks, Charles Wiley. Really t- good talent on defense. Look at the offensive line. Really solid up there. Uh, you look at the receivers in terms of guys like Taiki Ogle-Kellogg. Um, the Corian Clark who caught a, a couple of touchdowns last week against uh, West Kentucky. Sincere McCormick performed well. It's Frank Harris. Frank Harris, I – listen – we saw greatness from him from really 2019 in his early starts before he had the shoulder injury. Last year, it was a matter of could he stay healthy, right? Performed with 1,800 yards, about a shade over 500 yards rushing, one of the better dual threats in CUSA. But you always felt like there was more. At least I did. I can't speak for anyone else. But always felt like Frank Harris's ceiling was not the, the you know 2,000 yards passing and 500 rushing. What I saw from him, especially last week, just goes to show me that we're seeing someone who, A, is becoming more and more confident as a passer, B, is becoming more and more confident that he can stay healthy for the better part of 12 or 13 or 12 or 13 game season, and it's just developing. I mean, come on, Matt, I'm sure you saw that game. Who had Frank Harris and Bailey Zappi going toe-to-toe in a passing duel? Maybe if Frank Harris is going to use his legs and run for 200 yards, okay, fair enough. But the fact that Frank Harris, every time he got the ball back, Feel to make a throw to lead his team down the field. Yeah, they stalled out a little bit in the fourth quarter, and that helped Western Kentucky come back, right? But when it mattered, Frank Harris made the throws. And in my mind, that's why he's my choice for League Offensive Player of the Year. Right now, if you're just going midseason, you got to give it to Bailey Zappi. But I think we're going to do. I think we're going to deal with a quarterback who is truly believing in himself and has his best football ahead of him. So in my mind, that's the difference. It, it, there are so many teams, Matt. You know this as someone who covers this league. There are so many teams in Conference USA who you could say they're a quarterback away, right? It's every, the same year. Thing. Every, every year. Every year. Every <laughs> year. Every year. It was the same thing with UTSA. It just was a matter of could the quarterback who they had on their roster reach the apex of his talent? And I don't think he's there yet, but he's trending that way. In my mind, that's been the difference. It's so interesting because, you know, we were talking about, or at least I brought it up, preseason quarterback ranks and uh, – Kind of something I, I was kind of going down the list. And I'm like, Frank Harris is the second best quarterback returning in Conference USA, uh, bar none. And I and I kind of viewed that as an indictment on the league, honestly, because what we've seen of Frank Harris to this point, at least entering this season, was a guy who couldn't stay healthy. And then when he was on the field, kind of did too much and made mistakes and uh, I don't, maybe not hero ball, but, you know, the, the pressure was kind of on him to make plays and he just kind of didn't live up to it. And if you, if you take off the decimal point, Bailey, Bailey Zappi is completing 70.4% uh, of his passes this year. Frank Harris is 
They're both at 70%. And if you could have told any UTSA fan, period, you're going to get a quarterback that can complete 70% of his passes. Back, go back to when Lowell Narcisse was starting in this offense. Um, it's just, it's night and day. And it's it's terrifying when this is every every offensive coordinators and every head coach's dream, right? When you have a running back that is so talented that the opponent's team has to step the box. And then you have a quarterback that says, all right, we've brought him in. Make your throws. And that's all you have to do in this offense. It, it's not that easy. I'm not trying to undersell what Frank Harris has done, but sometimes when you have that guy who is mature, because he's been around the block a couple times now, um, you know, maybe if it's just watching film, if nothing else, uh, it's it's incredible to me to see what Frank Harris has become. Because I I will I'll wear myself out. I was on the uh, crew that didn't think we'd ever see it um, from Frank Harris, but he's proven me wrong. And uh, with with UTSA playing that well, uh, it's interesting you talk, uh, you know, Offensive Player of the Year awards because from a stats perspective, it's Bailey Zappi uh, has, oh my goodness, one less game has thrown for 800 more yards than Frank Harris, which is just mind-blowing. But uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, if uh, Frank Harris has the head-to-head win and UTSA wins the West and uh, Western Kentucky doesn't win the East, we I'm 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 right now live on air. I am rationalizing the Frank Harris offensive player of the year in conference USA. And it it is quite it's blowing my mind. Matt, I I don't think you have to rationalize it too hard, and here's why. If Bailey you Zappi, don't if Bailey Zappi had Sincere McCormick in the backfield, he might not have as many passing guards as he has. And that's despite the fact he's in the air raid offense. So listen, that's that's all you need to do in my mind. It's not you can't penalize Frank Harris for having a more complete team, in my opinion. No, absolutely not. And that's kind of uh, speaking of complete teams, that that kind of the segue, man, you are a professional. You've done this before Um, once or twice, 30, 40 times, uh, something like that. Anyhow, uh, complete teams. I think the right now uh, you grandfather in, uh, if nothing else, uh, UAB because of what they've done and what Bill Clark has built. Uh, over in Birmingham, obviously, I think I have the uh, UAB UTSA game circled, and we both have since the beginning of the season is one that's going to be particularly interesting. Uh, but uh, for right now, uh, UAB, uh, UAB UTSA, and UTEP, and UTEP, the three two and O teams uh, in the West, along with Charlotte in the East. None of this makes sense, man. Um, but uh, the Blazers, you know, kind of had the not a dud, but it was a rough uh, awakening when they opened Protective Stadium against Liberty and just kind of had a rough go of it. Um, obviously got that that bounce back where they looked almost like a different team <laughs> against Florida Atlantic. Um, you know, obviously the UTSA game we're going to be paying attention to. Uh, but where is this kind of team ranked for you when you look at UAB teams of year past years past because it's kind of felt like they were a quarterback away and they've they've got some pretty good quarterback play uh, this year from a, a collective, um, but I it, it, this team kind of feels like a carbon copy of where they were last year um, and last year there were there were some injuries and kind of got beat up and had COVID and traveled with like a third of a team to Rice to go clinch their spot in the conference championship. Um, 
but I don't I don't know if they're any, you know, forgive me, UAB fans. I don't know if they're any better than they were last year. I don't think they're worse. Um, but UTSA is undeniably better, um, which makes this race so interesting. So, you know, convince me if I'm if I'm right or wrong. Is, is UAB, is this a better team in 2021 than they were in 2020? Are they kind of on par? Uh, where did this rank in the uh, now growing list of good teams that Bill Clark has faced or has uh, positioned? Anytime you lose Spencer Brown, now unfortunately his name is escaping me right now. The, the, the kid who transferred from Florida, big six six defensive end, he's with Jacksonville right now. Matt, help me out. Um, oh, pass pressure. Um, I'm just having a brain. Fart I know right exactly now. who you're talking about. Uh, right. Uh, transfer from Florida. You know, excellent pass rusher. Listen, it's a lot of names you got to remember when you cover the entire league. His name just escaping me right now. Jordan Smith. You. Jordan Smith. Thank there you. we go. I Googled, but I, I knew what I was looking for. When you lose talent like that, I can't say that this is Bill Clark's most talented team. And I don't even think that necessarily it's his best team. But I do have to give him credit because he's made the adjustments with losing players on the defensive side of the ball. He's... Made the adjustment with losing Spencer Brown. You have Jermaine Brown Jr. and Dwayne McBride. And yes, I think if you're a CUSA observer and a UAB fan, you may have talked yourself into thinking, okay, right, we're going to compete with Memphis and do this. And this team just isn't necessarily equipped to do that. But they are more than equipped to win the West again. And we saw that when they beat FAU resoundingly. Here's my thing, Matt. And I've felt strongly about this. And listen, I played... A year of Division II football at Jacksonville University. I am no mind, in no way, shape, or form, an offensive mind. However, I've looked at offensive coordinator Brian Vincent and his philosophy, which is you're going to chuck the ball downfield. Just look at his quarterback's yard per average over the past four years. It's, it's always above eight and a half, nine, uh, sometimes even 10 yards per attempt, which is very aggressive, especially when considering the run game they have. This year, I like the fact that they're working in the tight ends. But it's just always felt to me like they just need to, I don't want to say protect their quarterback better, but if you remember when they had A.J. Early, they didn't ask A.J. Early to sling the ball around the field 30 times and you know push it downfield, right, despite having really good deep threats. They asked them to make the throws that were there and play good defense and run the football. And, to, and, and, and in, a, in an essence, and to an extent, that is their philosophy now. But I just wonder if they're putting their quarterbacks in the best position to succeed, as you mentioned, them always seemingly being a quarterback away. But outside of that, I am still impressed with what Bill Clark's done, still impressed with what UAB's done. And listen, that FAU win, they beat a more talented team. I think FAU is a more talented team. I think we both agree on that, but they were the better team. And I still think we're looking forward to that matchup. UTSA, UAB, we'll see what happens. I think UTSA is probably the more talented team as well, but just something about those Blazers. They always find a way to win games. And and I think it's if you could quantify the the impact that a head coach has, uh, it's it's hard to argue that there is a head coach that has more of an impact on his program uh, than Bill Clark does on UAB. Uh, and I we're going outside of conference USA. You got to go nationally at, at this point. The way that he you know of course brought the program back from dead uh, for one, but but he has plugged in. We're going on several years now where it doesn't matter who the running back is. It really doesn't. Even with Spencer Brown, he, he had games that he missed and was knocked up and they just go put somebody else in and they'd run for 100 yards. Doesn't matter who the receivers are. I, I don't, you know, 
it, I could probably name one guy a year over the past couple of years that's been a guy, but they've never really had a go-to guy. Uh, and quarterback has never been the reason they've won. Uh, defense has, but, you know, we mentioned George Smith. There's been a handful of guys that have been really good, um, but it's been a collective thing where Bill Clark just makes the team better and they execute better than anybody else in this league. Um, and it's the kind of, and the, the, the style of football they play, it hasn't changed. Like you mentioned, it's been, we're going to run the ball a lot and we're going to chuck it deep. And every defensive coordinator knows exactly what to expect. And, you know, for the most part, when it comes to conference USA competition, nobody stopped them. Um, and it's interesting. It, it kind of, uh, on one hand, it's the, it's the kind of offense maybe that you bet against and you say, eventually they're just not going to do everything right. And eventually they're only going to score, you know, 10 points and somebody's going to beat them. But, and we saw that with Liberty, like just you run into a, a you know, maybe, I guess a more talented team. Liberty might be a push, a more talented quarterback. Um, but eventually, but it, it, at some point, I just, it's hard for me to bet against Bill Clark because <laughs> we've seen this movie before and he just keeps winning. Matt, can I ask you a question before you transition? Yeah. And really quick, on, on a more talented quarterback, I've seen Malik Willis play live twice, once FIU season opener 2020, and then I covered the Cure Bowl for Underdog Dynasty. He is the real deal. That, that's what that is. But this is the question I have for you, because I'm just curious if maybe because I live in Florida, I hear a lot of this and I'm around the FAU circles. Do you hear, or maybe is there a perception of feeling that FAU was the better program. If, if you just looked at FAU and UAB, right, in your mind, does it automatically go to FAU? Despite the fact that both teams, they're two conference championships apiece, there seems to be this prevailing idea that A, FAU is better, and B, FAU has played better competition, which statistically isn't true. If you look over the past four years, just throw a stat out at you. In games they've won, FAU's beaten 13 winning teams, UAB 14. They've lost, UAB's lost to 17 uh, teams winning records and FAU 15. So roughly even, but I'm just curious if like, does your perception when you just say the two, does it feel as if one's better than the other? Because that's how it, we get it over here in Florida. It, so, you know, obviously being in Florida, the Florida team being perceived more favorably, that's right. that's, that's not terribly shocking. But but I'll say this is a, is a somewhat neutral party. I I think it's undeniable what Lane Kiffin did when he got to Florida Atlantic. You were talking about one of the premier offensive minds in this game uh, who, you know, for lack of a better term, stepped down a level um, in order to, you know, bide his time to get back up. Like this was a, a FAU was a stepping, stepping stone job for him and produced great results. And a lot of the guys that Lane Kiffin brought in are still on that roster and producing. He brought in talent. He can recruit and he knows what to do with his players. You can't deny either of those things. With that said, um, I think from start to finish, you look at what Bill Clark has done at UAB and there is a sustainability there. And I don't know what that's going to look like when Bill Clark is not there. Um, at this point, it kind of looks like the infrastructure and the support is in place for this program to have the sustainability um, beyond Bill Clark. But at this point, with Bill Clark there and the way that they have consistently churned out conference championships and division championships, uh, I give the benefit of the doubt 
to Bill Clark and UAB as the better program. I know that there will people there will be people that argue with me and say that FAU is more talented. FAU is going to do better in the next 15 years than UAB is going to do in the next 15 years. That might be true. Like, I'm not going to go to the mat and say that's, you know, erroneous. But from what I've seen to this point, if you had to ask me who's going to win tomorrow, I'm going to pick UAB nine times out of ten. And I'll probably be wrong a couple times because FAU is really talented. But we've seen this before and we've seen it a lot. And Bill Clark just keeps winning. And at some point, you say, shoot, I'm. I'm going with that. You, listen, could have said it better myself. That's exactly how I feel about UAB. I just think that you're truly doing a disservice. I've heard ridiculous arguments about, oh, if you gave Team X two years to take off and build infrastructure and fundraise it, listen, that, that's that's truly undermining the job that Bill Clark has done. <laughs> and if you look at the program's history prior to his arrival, they weren't that damn good. They weren't good. No. So there you go. Yeah, it. I mean, uh, let's put it this way. If uh, we had a draft of Conference USA coaches and you gave FAU the first pick, who are they drafting? Great question. Phenomenal question. Is it their current head coach? Because I would say probably not. And he's not going to be the second name off the board either. And you're talking to someone who is a, after full disclosure, I am a Willie Taggart fan. When you look at the jobs he's done, you look at where USF was prior to his arrival and afterwards, look at Western Kentucky prior to his arrival. But listen, I am not going to take away from the job that Bill Clark has done. And I agree with you. I think if you asked FAU fans today, they might draft a little bit differently than, you know, maybe they had the opportunity to a couple of years ago. Yeah. So we'll see. It, it... It's going to be interesting. I'd say we'd see this settle on the field, but we did. But uh, FAU fans don't seem to <laughs> resonate with that. Uh, not the first. I love you, FAU fans. Um, but, you know, one jab, you scoreboard, I guess. You'll, you'll never get a free drink in Boca, Matt. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and I don't even have a dog in this fight. But, uh, you know, and, you know that kind of, kind of brings me to kind of a big picture question that I want to ask you, we could we could go and, and break down the X's and O's of uh, Old Dominion in North Texas. Um, we can skip on that. But kind of so far through, you know, the midpoint of the season, I think, you know, when we circled around last time, uh, we both liked what UTSA was doing. We both were really, really excited to see Bailey Zappi um, and what he was going to do. Um I know we had similar kind of feelings about Marshall because of the conversations we've had. Uh, none of those results so far have terribly surprised me. Um, what has caught your eye? What has raised your eyebrows and, and really gotten your attention uh, at the midpoint of the season? If you're asking me what's caught my attention outside of the things we've talked about, because I got to give credit to UTEP. I think that's the one thing we've talked about them already. I'll give you two teams that have surprised me and neither in good ways. One is your Owls and the other is my Panthers. I'll start with the Owls. It is now year four and Mike Bloomgren is still searching for a quarterback, still searching for an offensive identity, still losing games the way that they lost in year one. And that's not to say that you haven't seen a progression in the program. I had a chance to cover Rice at FIU in 2018. That team fought hard for Mike Bloomgren. 
They fought hard for a half against an FIU team that won nine games. But the fact that you're still fighting the same battles, and again, Matt, it's not that, it's one thing to lose. It's another thing that when you have this level of offensive futility that they had up until, you know, um, the kid, uh, Jake Constantine, you know, got his shot and performed well, but that to me is just troubling. And I'm not out here sound the alarm to fire Mike Bloomgren. It just is shocking to me that they're still having this, you know, not even, 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 even the thing that you thought you had a good grasp on with Rice, which is a running game, is taking a converted tight end to rush for four touchdowns in a game to all of a sudden something happens, right? It, that to me is just kind of bewildering. And then I'll bring it home with, you know, I don't want to say my Panthers, but I cover the team I didn't go to FIU, but team I cover. <sighs> I am genuinely surprised that defensively they have been as bad as they have been considering the fact that they have as many talented defensive players, especially in the secondary. Rashard and Richard Dames have been uh, all-conference honorable mention or second team. Dorian Hall's consistently regarded as one of the top defensive backs in Conference USA by Pro Football Focus. Josh Turner's in Iowa dropped down. They aren't able to stop anybody. And listen, for FIU fans, you thought last year, okay, COVID year. That's really what sunk FIU's offense, right? Devontae Price rushed for something like 600 yards, would rush for about 1,300 yards and played a full season and kept his numbers. But the quarterback situation was a cluster, and we'll see what happens with the full offseason. Max Bortenschlager, don't be fooled by the numbers. And this hurts me to say because, you know, just being close to the situation, Max is a really good kid. You can't – he's not a, the guy that you can't root for, right? It's a pleasure to talk to him in practice practices and postgame. But his numbers, they are either when the team is down or they come in chunk plays. At, Matt, you ever seen a quarterback – throw the <laughs> I think he has something like 1900 yards passing right now his completion percentage is what I'm not looking at it right now is he, is he even above 52 percent I think the answer is no because I believe he was at 49 and change entering last week's game. I just pulled it up 54 so 54 percent but yet he's throwing for 1800 yards and isn't turning the football over a ton but dear god I've never seen a person break a the program record for passing yards on less than 60% completions and break his own career record for passing yards in a game and do that on less than 45% completions. So it's a ton of chunk plays. This team just really disappointed. And when you look at the level that they've recruited at, top four, top five, and CUSA consistently since Coach David has arrived, again, I'm never going to be the one to sound the alarm for someone's job. That's just not my style. And sure, I'm close to the situation, having talked to Butch Davis every week for the past four years. But they may need a new voice and we'll see how the situation plays out with him entering or excuse me, he's in the last year of his contract and uh, we'll see how it shakes out. But yeah, um, definitely want your thoughts, but those have been the two biggest surprises or surprises slash disappointments in my mind. Yeah, I think, I, I think one, and uh, I think North Texas being this bad is kind of just the drop-offs for Seth Luttrell is something that I think people in, in Denton have kind of been pointing to as concerned, but the bottom falling out like this, um, you had a guy who was a favorite to land a power five job two years ago and boom. So um, maybe I, I don't, neither of us, I don't think thought they were going to be particularly good, uh, but this bad, um, you know, we joke falling behind UTEP, haha, but UTEP has looked good. North Texas hasn't yet. Um, so there's that. Um, and then I'll kind of land the plane here. I know we've been talking for a while. Uh, you mentioned the owls. I think all your concerns and critiques are legitimate. I, I think the the lack of a defensive showing was stunning um, through the first 
four games at least they played. Um, and they were kind of knocked up, but not as bad as they were last year. And they played better with half the pieces. And so um, you go look at at what those, you know, Texas and Arkansas and Houston, those are uh, top three programs in their respective leagues right now. Um, Arkansas is getting close, maybe. Um, at least they were before they ran into the, the Lane Kiffin buzzsaw. There you go. Um, but I think it's interesting because Rice, it, it's been quarterback. And Jake Constantine... Uh, has put together a couple games where he's completed 70% of his passes, which is something that Rice has never had under Mike Bloomgren. Um, and so that's kind of the the question mark was, can they find a quarterback? Maybe they have. Um, he has certainly impressed me. I didn't think that we were going to see him this year. I thought it was going to be uh, the Luke McCaffrey show. Um, and we've seen both guys come in and play well. So I think that's the question that we will revisit if there's a, you know, what do I need to see left? For the year, it's going to be Jake Constantine. He's the biggest question mark between, you know, we mentioned how, you know, fallible half this conference is that everybody has their wrinkles. Um, is this an eight win rice team or a four win rice team? Like it's gonna, it might depend on Jake Constantine, um, which is crazy, but that's kind of the range. Um, so we'll see, man. It's we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> we have no idea. We can make our educated guesses, but uh, it certainly won't be boring. I'll tell you that. But uh, and I want to say thanks for, for stopping by. Where can we follow and, and, and check out what you're doing and, and what do we need to be aware of um, with what you got going on over the next couple years, couple years, years, weeks, days? I lost all track of time in COVID, man. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, man, I want to say thanks for having me. I'm just looking at the time here. We've been talking for a little over an hour. And of course, you know, anytime I get to jump on with you, an hour flies by and makes it really easy to have a good uh, partner here on the podcast. I appreciate you inviting me on. And for those of your listeners who want to follow my coverage of FIU and all things Conference USA, you can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. You can find Underdog Dynasty on Twitter at Underdog Dynasty, SB Nation's home for Group of Five football coverage. And last but not least, I will give a shout out to the Shootable Podcast if you have any interest in Learning a little bit more about Florida Atlantic or Florida International, you can find us on Twitter at Pod. Yeah, get get the uh, pushback from all of the hate that we tossed on FAU <laughs> during this podcast. Hey, you're like a top three team in talent in Conference USA. It's going to be okay, probably. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, please do. And and for everybody listening, uh, Underdog Dynasty has been has been at this for for a good long while now and uh eric's uh, some of the best that we got in, in g5 coverage so get, give him a follow uh follow up on what those guys are doing and you know it's going to be an interesting finish so you don't want to miss it so um for those of you who have uh, stuck it out and followed us uh, a long way it, it always goes at least an hour uh when we're we're chopping it up eric so a, a pleasure um but uh thanks for everybody for uh staying tuned and we will uh see y'all next week Rice fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.